You're listening to the Full of Hope podcast. I'm RJ Hurd, and today is the first of two episodes with Tracy Wade, where she'll tell us about her diagnosis and experience fighting breast cancer. We're going to rely on you to grow our podcast, so please share it with anyone and everyone. Because with so many options for things you can watch, read, and listen to, shouldn't one of them keep you full of hope? And now, your host, Ryan Kiggins. So this is super exciting. So first of all, thanks for joining us, Tracy. Uh, I've already sent RJ some info about your story, but there's a lot to unpack in Tracy's story. She's got a lot of stuff to share. So I'm super excited to have her share it. And Tracy, my thought is, I think we'll just do it kind of chronologically uh, in, in kind of the order of the way things happen. So as we get started here, kind of a common way that we approach things is like with with your illness, something triggered you, right? Like you were somehow inspired to go find out what's happening. And let's say like the day that that you decided to go find out or something triggered you, like talk a little bit about your family situation. Who's at home with you? What's life like? Are you working? What are you doing? Um, How, you know, how old are you? Kind of when was it in the timeline? Um, Like starting off, what was your life situation like? Well, it was all um, an an interesting time (laughs) to start with. Mm -hmm. Uh, I had gotten married um, in October. Actually, we just had our second anniversary. And although it feels like 20 years because what we've gone through has been so much in just two years, but we had just gotten married in October and we were kind of living the newlywed thing. We had postponed our honeymoon until um, a little bit different time. Um, I worked two jobs. I worked for this, worked at the um, school district as a lunch lady for my awesome benefits job. And I only had to work three and a half hours a day. I loved my kitchen. Amazing job. Um, oh, nice. What school had, district? Issaquah. Okay. Very cool. Very every day I looked forward to going to work. I just laughed, um, enjoyed working with the kids, but my kitchens were amazing and the women I worked with were amazing. And it was just a way to kind of bring to get benefits for our family. So was was this the school district your kids were in at the time? Yes. So I had, let's see, my the middle child was a senior. He was a senior. So although he was doing running start, so he was um, going to Bellevue. And then the uh, youngest um, is my stepdaughter. And she was living in, she mostly lives in Kirkland, comes to our house on the weekends. And then my oldest was living with us. Um, He's now 21 and he was kind of doing part-time school, part-time working. Okay. And just for, for listeners, so the, the high schools and colleges we're talking about are in um in Washington State and um near nearish nearish Seattle. Yeah. East of Seattle a little bit. Yeah. Very cool. Okay. So you got three. Yeah, three and kids. so we were we we got married and um we also have a real estate business. So that's kind of my full-time job is that uh, we do residential real estate together, my husband and I, and, um, but the benefits and only having to work um, 
three and a half to four hours a day to bring home benefits, school district yeah. benefits. Amazing. So Genius. Genius. Worked, and I loved going to work. I, I loved the women I worked with. Um, it was, it was awesome. Okay, um, and now- I only worked a mile and a half from home. So I walked to school most days. Oh, wow. Yeah, it was awesome. Very cool. Really awesome. So, so, so tell, tell me in your real estate job with your husband, um, are, are you the real estate couple that has like the sign of you like posing together, like on the couch and, or how's this work? We have to know more. Um, no, our logo is a beehive. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Do he tell. is, I'm the marketing person. I write the blog and do the post and he is the negotiating contract extraordinaire. Nice. And what's the significance of the beehive? Uh, it's a gathering plate. It's a home. Oh, clever. It is a home. Nice. And yeah. um, it kind of, it, a few iterations of a logo morphed, but, and we work for a, well, some things have changed, but uh, at that time we were working for a very um, small micro um, <clears throat> group out of Gig Harbor. Okay. So, okay. Um, but we are both, we just, like, the idea of home is a big deal to us. We, um, we love being home. And so actually COVID is not, not that bad for us, but oh, nice. yeah, we, are you uh, still doing the real love, estate thing? Yes. Yes. Do you have a, a website or anything? these days? Is there anything you'd like to plug in terms of like a website <laughs> or something? Uh, we're at steventracy.net. Okay. There yeah. you go. We just are really passionate about helping people in all kinds of situations. Yeah. Um, Whether people just need to refinance and we have good lenders or it's just kind of our thing. Okay. So you're, you're doing the real estate thing. You, you've got the, uh, the job at the school to, to help with insurance and um, you're just, we get married yeah. It's all great. We had a pop-up. Um, we kind of eloped. We didn't really tell the people we were going on a trip to Chelan with that we were getting married. And we were doing a wine tour and we pulled over at a friend's house and we're like, oh, we're just having lunch here. And we had a pop-up wedding. And wow. yeah, it was awesome. It was really fun. So you didn't have to do all the crazy planning. And the idea was always, we were having just kind of the ceremony with our a small, very small group of friends in Chelan. And then a reception was going to happen in, um, in our backyard in the summer. So that was How cool. Is that the goal? And okay. so we're going along. It's we're living the life. We're planning a honeymoon. We're thinking about the party and probably around the first of December. Um, I actually had to go back and read my caring bridge because the dates are a little crazy. Uh, I started I started noticing a change in my left breast and like you couldn't ignore it, but I'm also a really clumsy person and I carry a lot of stuff at school, like boxes of chips. And it's not uncommon for me to like run it into a door, <laughs> like misgauge the width of the door. And then just <laughs> Your left breast and- in particular, that's the one that just gets knocked Apparently, on. Apparently, <laughs> because it made a lot of sense that it would not be something scary, but like I had injured myself somehow. Okay. Um, I did it. So then I finally like, I better check it. And then I was like, Ooh, that's, that's a weird feeling in there. That hurts one. And two feels like a giant jellyfish, like two inches long living in my breast. Hmm. So then I was like, 
Oh, don't, don't. Pretty good size. Don't touch it again and it'll go away. You can ignore it. Do not Google it. Do not do anything. Don't tell anybody. So I went about two weeks. Don't look at it. Don't oh, look, gotcha. don't make eye contact. Do not look no, away. No. And this is, this is December of what year? 2018. Okay. A couple years. Right. So it wouldn't go away. And then I felt it again and it seemed bigger. But it was really weird because it was a it was like a jellyfish. Not so then I Googled and it says, Oh, breast cancer is hard and it's small. So I thought, yeah. oh, no problem. I don't have breast cancer. It's not that. So I can go to the doctor now because I know I don't have breast cancer. So I made an appointment with my naturopath because for me that um, I've had a long history of medical complications kind of in my past life. And the people that seem to always hear me and understand that my body reacts very differently to a lot of things um, in the medical world was my naturopath and I trusted him explicitly and he was just awesome. So can so, before before you go on, Tracy, can we can we circle back to something? Yes. So this is an interesting mindset that that you had. And I don't know if it's unique or not, but um I think it's it's fairly common, but I think it's worth discussing a little bit. So you had decided it's okay to go get looked at because you thought it wasn't cancer. I'm going to go ahead and just throw out a plug to our listeners. If you feel like you have cancer, also feel free to go go seek medical attention. Like what would, what do you think you would have done if you saw something that you, you really thought it was cancer, just like you would have ignored it and not made any more continued the no eye contact approach and just out of curiosity. No, I would have, I would have gone, but I had had some issues um, earlier. I'd been to the gynecologist in like beginning of end of September and dealing with some issues and been to the gynecologist and she was like, Oh, you're not even in the risk category that we need to worry about. You don't even, cause I said, I had had some mammograms in my life starting at 40. I'd had three, I believe kind of randomly. I um, mean, kind of every time they moved the age that you should start, they said, Oh yeah, we'll go ahead and test you. But I had been to Kaiser in, at the end of September and they said, Oh, you don't need to have a mammogram until you're 50. So I had it like bookmarked, like I don't need to worry about it. Um, I had been called back for a mammogram before um, for seeing something that wasn't quite right, but I was about, I was like eight years ago. So I never worried about it when they told me not to worry about it. I have no history, family history of breast cancer. So I show up at the naturopath and I get a new guy. It's, he has just come out of residency He's actually, he's become both my husband's and my doctor full-time. Um, and he's amazing. But he, here, here comes, here I come. And I'm like, I think there's a jellyfish in my left breast. You, I'm pretty and sure it's a jellyfish. so he's going, like, he's actually, he's told me that I was, I'm the first cancer he's ever felt. So, but we of course didn't know it was cancer then. So he, he calls the, um, naturopath that's because there's a bunch in this office that we go to and he calls the one that's the female kind of specialist 
And so in she comes. And I'm kind of a modest person. So just hanging it all out there and oh, everyone. Room full of people. And touching. And, yeah, hey, hey, come take a look at this. Hey. Yeah, it was a lot like that. Like, oh. whoa. Oh, we definitely think this is a cyst. This, you're mm. right. Because, and the, the special, the woman specialist, she's like, I felt a lot of breast cancer. Nothing, you know, this is very abnormal. Rest assured, we're going to get it tested because you tend to have weird reactions to things. So let's, we'll get it tested. And it turns out, um, finding it in December is a really bad time to find breast cancer because everybody has saved their insurance to have their mammogram done and they put it off and put it off and then they all plan it. And so all this breast cancer is found in December when everybody put it off. So it's kind of hard to get in and get a screening. Oh, wow. That's super interesting. So for listeners, right? Like schedule. Oh, in like March. Yeah. Yeah. Get cancer earlier in the year. Get cancer earlier. Look, it's not, it's not just about the, the people that end up with cancer though, right? It's just about the screenings themselves. Like just the logistics of it lend themselves to doing it earlier. I'd have never thought of that. That's a great point. Yeah. You're the first person to bring that point up. Well, they, well, so I was there, I was at the naturopath on Tuesday and they started calling Wednesday morning and I couldn't even get seen by anybody until Friday. So oh. they were like, mm, yeah, so Overlake ended up having an opening and I, um, I, I was able to, that's, and that's the only reason I ended up there. Cause they're the ones that said, sure, we'll do another mammogram and an ultrasound. And I got there and I kind of had forgotten I had had an ultrasound at that point, but, and apparently I had to read this. I asked my husband, I said, do you remember that they told us that day that most likely was cancer? Like I went in by myself, you get a heated bathrobe, which is kind of cool. Nice. At Overlake, plug for Overlake. Overlake. It was very fancy. I felt very fancy. And the, they called us back together or they went out and got him and said, we want to talk to both of you. And they said, most likely this is cancer. But at that point they told me the reason it felt so big is that the healthy tissue had surrounded the cancer and was actually fighting off the cancer. So I was like, so I have like this badass breast. It's super like, is super de- yeah. totally, it's like fighting and, <laughs> you know, fearless. And I was like, Oh yeah, that cancer has no chance. And they're like, we look, it looks like the cancer is very small, but we have to do an MRI. Okay. So then you so go. First of all, you, before you do that, so what's your mindset? When do you, when you, do you remember? Um, said it's most likely cancer. Yeah. Like what's that? You know, I think, I mean, I think we were so like, how, how do you get married? And then six weeks later, it is a, um, we both been married before and, you know, both been down some really hard roads and here we think we've made it. And like, we found this amazing, it, 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 it's amazing. And I mean, for so many silver linings have come out of this, I actually ended up marrying somebody that's actually a complete angel and the most amazing caregiver. Like I, I couldn't there. I have never met anybody like that could care for me, give you shots in the stomach and all this crazy stuff that he's done. And I mean, so everything happens for a reason. And that we were, that we're sitting there in, in these appointments and hearing, you just don't, 
I just never, ever, ever thought that cancer would be in my, and not at 47 too. Right. And I think it's just this like dumbfounded, you just can't even believe it. Yeah. And it's overwhelming and there's so much crying and then there's laughing and, and he has an incredible sense of humor. So we, we chose to laugh about a lot of things. Um, so one of the things when you're going through it all is that they're doing biopsies and they're squishing everything. And I had this kind of really angry tumor that hurt. <clears throat> so I described it as like a knife, like hot pain that somebody was stabbing me. And so my naturopath, I thought this was genius, was like, you should use frozen cabbage because that's what people like breastfeeding moms use. It's, it's the right shape. You freeze it, you freeze the leaves, and then you stick them in your bra. I'm like, well, I'm going to try that. That seems harmless and totally awesome. So we're going to watch a, it's Christmas time, and we're going to watch a Christmas movie and forget about cancer. So I freeze my cabbage, I stick them, get them nice and cold, stick them on my really painful breast, and we're watching a movie. And next thing I know, I'm like, I think the gas fireplace is leaking. He's like, I don't really smell it. I'm like, so I decide I can definitely smell gas, a gas leak. I am looking everywhere. Then I decided it must be on my hands that something smelly is on my, like a gas leak smell is on my hands. And so I go to the, I wash my hands. Then I decide it must be in my sweater. So I take my sweater off, come to find out. So cabbage is really awesome but it cooks really fast when it's on your skin. What? It was like cooking on you're, my chest. You're making kimchi in your bra. Totally. But like stuff like that happened a lot. And we always, it was, it was the humor that broke up the horror. Yeah. Of, and well, we did it help so, with the pain? Oh, it actually did. Yeah. Yeah. Very awesome. Huh. Yeah. I would, I would absolutely recommend it. Stuff like that. We, we just always tried really hard to find the humor or something funny in the day. I, I had a thing where I got some really fun slippers at Christmas. They were reindeer. So I wore those to all my appointments. And I had like a special blanket I took to my appointments. And the staff is, was awesome. They always were absolutely, you can bring it in. And if it wasn't sterile enough, I could at least see it in the room. Um, I had some special rocks that a person had given me, had a little pouch of, um, special things to hang around my neck. And I, I use those type of touch points to get me through the, the unbearable. Yeah. So what were they doing at the, so I, I love that idea. Like it's, it's, you know, what's interesting is we do that as kids, right? Where you've got a a binky and then it goes to a blankie and then maybe a stuffy or something. They all have to end in an E sound. I don't know why, but, but the point is like at some point we kind of stop, right? Society stops us from doing that stuff. But I found the same thing when I was at the hospital is just having those mementos that are real touch points that connect us to the people that gave them to us or some memories. Super, super powerful. It's kind of a bummer. I think we get away from that in general, but um that's really cool that you found that um, helpful. Our goal with the Full of Hope podcast is to hear from and share with as many people as possible. 
This is where we need your help. Please tell your friends and family about us so that we can grow. If you want to share your story, go to fullofhopepodcast.com and fill out the form on the Get On Our Podcast page. Or search for Full of Hope Podcast on all social media platforms and reach us there. We ourselves are full of hope that we can help thousands of people. But we can't do it without your help. So thank you for helping us grow. What at these appointments though, like what are they doing at these, these things where you're going, this is at Overlake, I'm guessing still. I'm still at Overlake at this point. So I had, um, my ultrasound, a mammogram, I had an MRI, which I've had a lot of MRIs. Having a breast MRI is very, they put you face down with your like face all squished. And it was such a, um, it was a weird process for that. And it, it was longer than the MRIs I've had in the past. And the way I was situated face out, I got this strange twitch in my hip that seemed like it was like twitching to the sound of the <laughs> MRI machine. Oh, so it was wow. like, and then I was sure I was messing up the MRI. And the more I tried to stop my hip from twitching, the more it twitched. So oh my gosh. This stuff like that. And I don't think you realize, uh, one of the things that really surprised me when I went back through my writing was looking at how long appointments were. So Mm. I would write, you know, I I was at um, Overlake Hospital for four hours today meeting with three doctors. And then I went to Valley because you kind of get to interview your your team and who it's going to be. And then you're thinking about, so for my house to drive to the hospital it wasn't very far, nine miles, but in Seattle traffic, that's could be an hour and a half. Mm-hmm. And, and so how are you going to go through treatment and you're driving an hour and a half to hospitals there and home. And so you're trying to make choices for the future, but you also like having your team. And because my body tends to be very different and the way it presents medical issues, I really, um, needed people that would listen to me. And I'm very, very in tune with my body. So when I knew at some point, like I had to go to the doctor, even though I was telling myself, oh, it's not breast cancer because it's not small and hard. I still knew I had to go like, this is, this is beyond ramming, ramming a box into my breast and having, you know, I hurt myself. Right. Uh, And so I try to really pay attention and there's a lot of for lack of a better word, white coats that really think they know better. And no, you have to take this for this reason. I'm going, oh, no, I can't take that. So Mm. putting together my team was really important to me and, and how I did that. And I knew I would need kind of a non-traditional approach. Yeah. Well, so, but let's talk about that. So before, before you can put together a team, you have to under, or you have to be, I guess, directed or told like what, specifically you're dealing with like at what point did you get some sort of treatment plan explained to you or recommendations for how to move forward how did how did that all work you've done MRIs you've done biopsies and things like that and oh sorry before you answer um just wanted to explain for those of the people listening who haven't had an MRI or aren't sure what it is basically like you're laying on a bed it sounds like you were face down um, but you're laying on a table and you're slid into a machine that's all around you, or at least it, 
correct me if I'm wrong, but my experience, yeah, exactly. it's all around you. And it's, it's a very claustrophobic feeling. Uh, I mean, the, the inside wall of the machine is inches away from your eyes and nose and face and things like that, your other body parts. And then it's, it's going around you in a circle, the machine does, and it makes like lots of chunk, 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 like Lots of loud, distracting, uncomfortable noises from my perspective. And um, so if you've ever seen that the, the machine that does that, that's what an MRI machine is. Okay, so so you've done these tests. When when does the recommendation come or more detail about what the treatment options are and plan? So it took about 10 days from the day I was at the naturopaths to get in get all the biopsies. I ended up, so the MRI ended up showing two other tumors as well as um, a mass that was not quite formed yet. So I ended up having to have three biopsies total. Oh, wow. Uh, It did end up that all three uh, tumors were, they think related. And so basically one hatched two more. I decided I'm kind of a people person, really a lot. And so I think my tumor was lonely and it needed friends. Sprung so, twins. Yeah. So it had some friends in there that we couldn't see on a mammogram on a on the mammogram machine. So that uh, and all of that by the time it gets biopsied, tested, and you get your pathology report took about 10 days. Um, and this is like right up to Christmas. Literally, I went the day after Christmas results. Okay. Um, right up. Like I got, I had two more biopsies on New Year's Eve. Super festive. Wow. Yeah. You really Holiday hit those season. holidays. Yeah. Um, and then we get called in, uh, the breast surgeon is who gave me my results and at Overlake and you, she, you get all these numbers and these, you can't pronounce, I couldn't pronounce 90% of the words on that page and you're looking at it and you don't know. And, and she tries to make it in, in a version that we would understand. And I see why, I mean, I brought my husband with me, but you almost need that third person that's completely objective because the two of us were just like, once you have your pathology report, it's final. Like it's really there and mm. you really have, cancer and it has a name now and it's ERPR positive inductal carcinoma, invasive inductal carcinoma. So then you're trying to Google that and getting all these Mm. pamphlets, all this information. And yeah, she, there was some numbers in mine. um, There's a number called the KI 67. Uh, When they first diagnosed it, they thought it was a lazy form of cancer. Um, Did you take offense to that? Oh no, I was like, oh yeah, my cancer's on a beach with a cocktail. It's like it's slow moving, chilling. laying on a lounge chair, reading a book. Yeah. Perfect. With its with its friends, right? Like with its, its buddies. Yeah. That's so me. Yeah. yeah. And um then of course the biopsy comes back in way the way I the way it looked was that, but actually what is the truth is that I had a very aggressive for a 47-year-old form of cancer that was fast growing, fast moving. We have to get this out soon. Um, mm. We don't know if those two tumor, other tumors developed just since your first mammogram, but we've got, 
And now you no longer qualify for a lumpectomy. You actually, because there wouldn't be nothing left. It was too spread out. They were in all oh. parts of my breast. So okay, that ended up, which was kind of nice because you're trying to make all these decisions. Like if I do a lumpectomy, because I kind of want to have a breast, I don't want to be, I don't want them to chop my boob off, but yet you don't want to have cancer. So True, it, yeah. the decision is just made for you. So that yeah. actually was kind of nice in a weird way to be able to say, oh, yep, that decision's over. Um, the tumors are too big. There, there isn't enough room to leave anything. So yeah. had they then, done any in, investigate, I don't know how this works. Sorry, but did they check the other breast at all? Or like, is it, do they just consider like it completely? Yeah. So the MRI did look. And it also scans um, in your armpit, so lymph nodes, to see if anything lights up. Okay. And I, I showed no activity anywhere else. Okay. Um, and because, and then my genetic, I did a genetic panel, and those came back 100%. Like, I don't have a single gene hmm. okay. that leads towards any kind of cancer. So that kind of made the decision, like, okay, we're going to go forward, then... Um, so you schedule surgery for me, it was schedule surgery. Um, then most likely you're going to need chemo. Then most likely you're going to need radiation, but we'll do some tests after surgery to see where you are. Oh, okay. So I, um, on January 29th, I went in for my mastectomy and took a leave of absence. I knew I'd need about three weeks to recover three to four weeks is what I had hoped for. And it was, let's see. So, and I, now you have to like, once you know you're having a mastectomy, then you get your plastic surgeon involved. And so then you have to go meet with that person. Mm. And I, I, I loved my plastic surgeon. He was the kind of guy that all the nurses were like, Oh, you have Dr. Hutter. We love working with him. We love him Um, in the operating room. He's mm. so kind. I know Dr. Hutter. Yeah. I I have been through that. Yeah. With him. Oh, everybody. Yeah. yeah, You just can't interrupt him, (laughs) but he's awesome. He was was in there in the, in the room. Like, so you had the mastectomy happened and the plastic surgeon was in the room at the same time to kind of button everything up. Right. So there was a team team effort. And so the idea was, and I posed the question at the time with him saying, so my body is kind of weird. I might be one of those implant people that doesn't like plastic. What do we do about that? Or I've heard about this other surgery where you can use your own tissue. And he, um, we talked about all of the uh, different options and it really seemed like having an implant made a lot of sense. And so we went ahead with that and I went in for surgery, check in, you know, some God awful hour, first thing in the morning. Um, and they thought my surgery as a single mastectomy, I had decided only to do one. I had, since I had no genes or reason to believe I need another one. One reason for leaving a breast is that if cancer comes back, it has some place to go. Just kind of. Oh, interesting. Right. Like is is that something that you thought of or did somebody guide you in that decision or recommend? One, I, I had one doctor say that and it, it kind of resonated with like, it made sense. 
like if you leave a body and I ended the questions, like when I knew it was hormone positive, like, do I, I was still premenopausal. Do I take out my ovaries? And they were like, well, if you, if it comes back, there's a place that we can easily take out if it lands there. Yeah. Wow. So let's don't take anything that you, that you don't absolutely have. And I'm really glad I, I chose only to do one. I mean, that made a lot of sense. I've had plenty of complications from just one. So I, I can't imagine doing more than that. Yeah. So you're, you're, yeah, I, I, I'm with you. I'm sure we'll hear about those complications soon, but so, so you're doing this at the end of January, right? Yep. And at, so how long between when you were told the plan of doing the mastectomy and you're now in the operating room? Um, the, about the 15th of December till the 29th of January. Okay. Okay. And for me, that be like, I was still like, it's still all hurt. I was still putting cabbage and ice packs in my bra because it hurt. It, mm-hmm. it, it was not a good feeling. It was angry. And, and that is very, very uncommon way for breast cancer to present. Oh, wow. Aren't and you lucky? Me, well, for me, I am, I, I, I believe in God and my faith is really a foundation in my life. And I believe he totally knew that I needed like a big thing to happen to get me to go. I have enough medical trauma that choosing, like, I will always choose to like douse oils on myself or eat goji berries or drink the green smoothie or anything, but go to the doctor. Mm. So for so me, he hits you I, over the head. Oh yeah. And I kind of felt like, no, she doesn't need like a small pea size hard thing. Like I have to get her attention with like a jellyfish. Giving her a jellyfish. <laughs> so I got a jellyfish. A painful one at that. And then I'm going to cook some, some cabbage. On yes. My, yeah. my cooked cabbage. <laughs> wow. I mean, who would know? But it's amazing. So we go in, um, you check in first thing in the morning and it's, you actually insurance only covers you. It doesn't, they don't even call it an overnight stay because they're going to kick you out before 24 hours. Really? So, because the time in the operating room isn't counting towards your stay. So I did sleep there one night, but I was gone the next morning. But it ended up, because I'm a little different, my shorter surgery ended up taking about six and a half hours and instead of the four to four and a half they thought. And when I came out, so I tend to come out of anesthesia really happy and giggly. That tracks. Yeah. So that's that's nice. At least you know I'm not like yelling at people and cussing people out or something. And I was my first thing was I asked, and it seems to be the question I ask a lot is, did, did I get did I get a breast? Because they talk about like if they have if they go in and the tissue's too thin or they can't get, you may not get your expander at the time. So you wake up and like, it's like Christmas. Like, is it there? Oh, did I, did I get it? Oh my gosh. <laughs> and so, so I was so excited. Well, and you're also super loopy. So I remember like looking in my gown and I remember what I saw, which was amazing. But the next morning I looked and I was like, crying I was like what's wrong but just remember the night that I came out of anesthesia because it looked so amazing to me in that moment it was like sparkling shiny and 
Well, what happened was they were unable to put, they did get the expander in, but they couldn't fill it because the margins were so thin that they had to let me completely heal before they could start putting liquid in, which is a, the weirdest thing ever. So literally you have like a deflated balloon in your chest that's at some point going to be blown up, which is weird. Did it? Oh. Yeah. I'm guessing that that's probably fairly common. I don't even like, no, it's a little bit not, that I was so special, but they got it in. So they were super happy about that. Yeah. Okay. So it's ready now. What do they have to wait for to, to, to fill it? So the day that happened, that was like a miracle of all miracles (laughs) because it's like instant, instant cleavage. It's like (laughs) the most amazing, beautiful thing ever. Are you awake when they're doing that? Yeah, that those are side appointments. But it took a it took a while to heal, at least a month before the incisions were closed, so they could start. And then they put like sixty cc's in a time, so it's like this really gradual. Let your skin stretch out. Mm. And what was amazing to me though is the surgeon did such an awesome job. She was able to to get out. I mean, if you think about how weird that is, they take off, they open you up from underneath your breast, scoop out in one scoop, your entire breast tissue, including the tumors, and then lay it back, put an expander in there and lay it back down and close it. So I couldn't even see from looking down any scars. Wow. All the scars were underneath. And to me, that was amazing. Yeah. Unfortunately, when the tissue came back, they call it, they have to clear the margins. My margins were awesome all the way around, which well, is the so, most important. So it, so the margins are um, the area immediately surrounding the cancer, right? So you have yes. the cancer and then the margins, they go out and out and out to see how far out, like bigger it, it it's leaking out or so to speak, and using horrible no, exactly. Because you want, you want a clean, like enough clean tissue to know that no cancer cell made its little way through yeah. and went and sat in your kneecap or something. Yep. Or their little buddies. To support the Full of Hope podcast, please go to the support the podcast page on fullofhopepodcast.com. If you believe in our goal to help people through difficult situations by being able to hear positive outcomes of those who've been through them themselves your support will be huge to help us grow so having clean margins was so unfortunately i mean fortunately all my margins were clean except for my nipple area and they just they weren't sure they got it and so on valentine's day which is amazing for your first year of marriage that you're going to go in and have your nipple chopped off on valentine's day and that's no, what i don't need yeah I mean, I don't even know what to say. Like, I know. But the really cool thing is we celebrate my cancer-free day as Valentine's Day. Oh, nice. That's awesome. Yeah. So that's now our, and we laugh about it. And I Did your husband get you a card? I told him I was going to give him a pop-up card with like my nipple in it. (laughs) Wow. (laughs) You're actually. You're special. That's so funny. That's good. Look. They have, have a really sick sense. When you get cancer, you have to develop a very sick sense of humor. You're totally right. But here's here's the thing. Like, <laughs> I, I know people that are into 3D printing. 
And they have scanners where they can scan objects, right? And then build a 3D model. And so you could potentially like 3D print that bad boy into a cart. That's a whole line of cards right there. Right there. Just new product. Trademark. Trademark. Cancer sucks. Happy Valentine's Day. Yes. Here's my nipple. Here's my nipple. Yes. (laughs) Love it. hashtag it somehow i don't know how okay so valentine's day you're you're having that removed to improve i guess the likelihood right that the cancer is not hiding somewhere is that right and that kind of did me in it it was one thing to see my own like i couldn't see any scars for those first 14 days and and you you come out and you have these drains literally tubing that's pulled with these balls on the end of it that your own body fluid is flowing into and it's like the grossest thing and you have to strip it every day and or a couple times a day and so my sweet new husband is stripping my drain daily multiple times because I can't bend or move my left arm at all taking Um, measurements of how much fluid is in each time and measure it and and Turns out my body likes to drain a lot. So when they say you're going to go home and have a drain for a week, for me, it was like three to four weeks. And then you can't get an infection or they have to take out the implant or the expander. So it was a, it was hard. And when, after that second surgery, um, so that at that point, that was the third surgery. Cause I had also had my port put in. Okay. For chemo. Okay, so and at this point we knew I was having chemo. Okay, so you, they they determined it chemo would be appropriate at the time, like on um, on Valentine's Day. Had they been had they been pumping? You, I think you said sixty cc's at a time. Had they been doing that at that point already, where they were filling the? No, the expander I, was still flat. So I had okay. to wait about a month before and to let those incisions really heal because the skin was just too thin and they didn't want to put any weight in it and have the scarring be bigger than it needed to be. Okay. So that, so then, and then, so the sad thing is now I actually really look different. I I'm Mm -hmm. completely, I have this flat, but lumpy thick plastic under my skin. I have no nipple anymore. I have scars that I can see and it's, it was hard. I, you yeah. feel, um, you, you haven't body part amputated. That's very, very visible and unbalanced. So even your proprioception for women that have even a little bit of chest, your proprioception happens in front of you. I mean, you find balance. So I found like I couldn't even square my shoulders up without really, really paying attention to where my body was in space and time because you're all out of whack and you're, you're lopsided. And it was, it was hard. Yeah. It was very hard. And so um, that happened. And then how did you, so, so talk a little bit about, I, I mean, I totally understand like the reasoning and why it would be hard and the fact that it was hard and particularly since things look so different now. Right. Yeah. Whereas at first they may, may not have, did you find anything that helped in terms of dealing with the challenges 
just mentally and and even on getting your own balance and did you find a, a resource that was able to help you with any of that stuff well i ended up uh, i had a friend so i'm a tennis player and uh, one of my tennis partners said hey i have this friend i think she had the same type of cancer and you know my friend joe Mm-hmm. And you had her on a little bit ago. Yeah. And so I called Joe and she's awesome and she's funny. And she and I, so, you know, it was somebody that you could be like, oh my gosh, there's nothing in the expander and I'm completely fat. And she would either send a joke, send a suggestion or um, just commiserate with me. Like, oh, you're yeah. right. That, that is so sucky. Yeah. Um. And having that person, and she was only um, a year out, a year ahead of me. So it was close enough that things were still the same. There are a lot of people that love to give you their opinion, but things change so much that it's hard to, like, they don't even do the same tests. I mean, I'm far enough out now. You know, I have, I know some people going through and they're, they're having a completely different experience just because we're that much further away. Yeah, I find I'm finding that as well. And I'm a, I'm part of the first connections program for the mm-hmm. Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. And now the treatments are so different that it's almost I'm just there to listen really at this point to people's concerns and experiences because I don't have a lot to offer in terms of helpful solution. Yeah. And so finding that and I, I kept thinking I should find a support group. Like that seemed like it would make sense to me. Um, although I'm not the support group I knew I wanted, like ideally, would it be a commiserate and talk about how horrible it is? And like, what if we all die, but more of a, how do you live your best life? How do you, um, how do you continue to get up in the morning and not let the fear, um, overcome you? And so I kept thinking that was on the back burner. And so, but I just thought, okay, get through you know, get through, get, get these darn drains out, get back to work. And then we're going to start chemo in March. Um, chemo was supposed to start at the beginning of March, but because my drains took so long to come out, it kept getting pushed. And at that point I was putting together my team and I had found an awesome doctor at another hospital that wasn't um, where I'd had my surgery And I loved, and a friend actually worked in the front office and she called one day and said, Oh, you know, he's retiring, right? And I haven't even started chemo. I'm going, um, no, I can't, I can't start with a doctor that's leaving. He's not even going to be here before my first chemo. (sighs) So, and he, what I loved about him is he was an out of the box thinker. Uh, really very different, a kind of old, little bit old school, but very kind of fight, um, aggressive and listen to your body. So he kind of spoke my language. So that was super important. So now I have no oncologist and I've had my breast amputated, but I have Mm. no doctor. Right. So I go back to my naturopathic office. They hook me up at Swedish with, um, it's kind of a renowned Seattle doctor. His name is Dr. Henry Kaplan. And he had a space available. So I got in. There's like the Henry Kaplan Research Center. I'm thinking, 
I got the guy. This is awesome. So I go see Dr. Kaplan. He's everything everybody says. He's kind and gentle and empathetic and he listens and he's so smart. He has seen hundreds of thousands of cases of breast cancer. So surely I cannot stump him because of all my weird sightings. Yeah, yeah. Because I've got someone that's going to get it. You know what, though? Here's the other thing. I bet he was super excited to have you, right? Because you're like, you probably provide some challenges. Like he's like, all right, we we may have some weird stuff come up. Like this will be like a challenge. Well, at the time, so you're, I always go with that. Like you're going to, I'm going to, you're going to want to use me as a case study because I'm so interesting. Yeah. And it was just like, they don't believe me. That's the problem. They, they smile and they're not, and they're like, I've seen it all. So sure enough, I sign on. I'm going to be his interesting patient. And we set up, chemo's going to start. He looks at all the reports. Chemo's going to start in March. But my drains don't come out, and they want you to kind of regain your footing between every stage. Um, And my best friend from Texas, I grew up in Texas, um, surprised me. I had not seen her in 25 years. She showed up on my doorstep on a Friday. She flew in from Austin and um, no, it was a big surprise. And this is on March 1st. And she, I opened the door and she started sending me some weird texts and like these random pictures. And I'm going, what is going on? What are you doing? Are you okay? Are you sad? Why are you sending me these weird pictures? Well, they were just clues of her traveling through Seattle to get to my house. Oh my gosh. And I opened my door and there she is. And she's one of those friends that if you go a year without talking, it doesn't matter. I mean, we've stayed in contact. She was my very first friend in life. We met when we were two. So she's there for the weekend. Um, right. So she's been flying all day. She's exhausted. She got up at like three in the morning. She goes to bed Friday night. and. Um, early and we're going to bed and we, we walk down to a neighbor's house and we live in an area, um, upper middle class, um, kind of normal neighborhood. And we go to bed and the dog wakes up, wakes me up about 1230 at night. And he's growling like a weird growl. And I was like, what do you want? It's like 1230 at night. Yeah. So I get up and I wear glasses or contacts, but I don't, cause I'm just going to let him out the sliding glass door. So down the stairs, I go open the sliding glass. I get ready to open the sliding glass door and he makes the strangest growl I've ever heard him make. And I thought, Oh, I bet there's a raccoon or something in the backyard. And I think, I think I need to go get my glasses so I can see what's out there before I op- unlock that door and open it. Okay. So I go back upstairs and our master bedroom overlooks the backyard. And as I'm grabbing my glasses, I look out the window and there is at least two people in the backyard that we don't know. Oh, so spooky. I yell and the windows open because I'm always hot. So we got to have to have the window open. So I yell at my husband, Oh my gosh, there's people in the backyard. Call the police now. And the guys take off. They jump over a fence which there were some really prickly bushes on the other side. So I kind of hope it hurt when they landed. They go over our fence and they run away. The police come, take a statement. My friend from Dallas has no idea. She's just sleeping away in the bedroom. 
Oh, wow. She, and wait. we tell her the next morning. Wow. We're like, Ooh, we yeah. never had this happen. I mean, we've had a couple car prowlings in the neighborhood, but no one's had somebody kind of in their backyard. They tell us not to worry. It's all good. We go on with life. Hmm. My girlfriend leaves on Monday and we had gotten up, and this is March 4th. We had gotten up early to get her off and my son drove her to the airport and we were just all tired. So um, our house was situated. We had French doors um, that came in, solid wood, big oversized French doors um, that were the main entrance. And then you came in and the stairs were right in front of you and you went up the stairs and all the bedrooms kind of overlooked this foyer. So you could see the front door from the upstairs landing. Okay. And Sounds uh, awesome, by the way. Uh, the 19-year-old's room looked directly at the front door. That, uh, Well, he was 17 at the time. So the 17-year-old and then the 19-year-old was at the end room. So he actually had to walk out down the hall and then go down the stairs. Okay. He was playing an online video game. Right? The middle son that look, overlooks, our stepdaughter was not there that night. And Steve and I had gone to bed. It was like 8.30 we were just watching Netflix, um, had shut the bedroom door, and this really loud, like, horrific, like, bang. And it was like, you don't think anything more than, I have two teenage boys, what are they doing? They must have thrown something off the balcony, you know, onto the tile floor down below, or dropped something, or right. what are they doing? Yeah. And then another really, another really loud bang, and I was like, oh, for the love. I better go. What see are they what doing? doing? Yeah. Um, so I throw my legs out of bed and in literally that amount of time, I never even stood up the bedroom door. Um, the frame literally like shattered across the room. Um, the door flies open and the yelling that was happening, you're kind of blinking and going, what's going on? Um, men uh, fully masked, in all oh. black, um, at least three of them. Okay, hold on. Pointed. <laughs> Guns pointed, three men in masks, and we're going to have to tease. That's going to be the tease for the next episode because shit is like already getting very real, but um, it's, it's going to continue in a very crazy way. So... I'd love to to wrap this episode and plan on picking that story up in the next one. Yeah, it's a good place to stop it right there. Tease, <laughs> what a tease. To find information about today's episode, how to support the podcast, or find out how you can share your story, go to fullofhopepodcast.com. All of our social media info is there. Or you can just look on all platforms for Full of Hope Podcast. In the next episode, we'll get into a traumatizing experience Tracy and her family dealt with that is pretty much the worst nightmare you could imagine and how surviving that experience has impacted them all. Thank you so much for listening and sharing with a friend. And until next time, this is RJ reminding you that Tracy's story is living proof. There is so much reason to be full of hope. I got-